Hey, listeners, if you are thinking about divorce and concerned about your children, please go to my online parenting plan course. It will help you plan how you're going to parent through divorce and beyond. And I promise you, it will keep conflicts from erupting in the future while keeping you centered on your children. Check it out at lisakoski.com. Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. Join family law attorney turned mediator, Lisa Kosky, for candid conversations on how to alleviate the fear of divorce and how to heal through empowerment. Now your host, Lisa Kosky. Welcome listeners. Here we are today with Dr. Thomas Jordan. And I'm so excited to learn from Dr. Jordan today I think that this is going to be really important for the listeners because you've studied love for 30 years and you've got a book about it, which we'll talk a little bit more about at the end, but you want to help people make corrections and have a better future. That's what I want. So I'm so thankful that you're here, Dr. Thomas Jordan. Just welcome to Doing Divorce Different. And we're just really looking forward to getting to know you. Thank you for inviting me, Lisa. I look forward to it. Can you give us a little background? So as you've been doing this for about 30 years, what led you to study love? Well, the first thing I would suggest is to correct a little bit. I don't study love. I study love relationships. I opened my book with that in my preface that this is not a book about love. Love's a wonderful, unpredictable, uncontrollable emotion. We have no idea where it comes from. Some people think it's purely biological. Some people think it's spiritual, psychological. It's probably all of the above. So that's an unpredictable, uncontrollable phenomena. It might happen more than once in a person's life. Who knows, right? What we can do something about is the type of relationship we set up when we fall in love. The relationship we set up, healthy or unhealthy, is what contains that love and grows it. If you set up a healthy relationship, fine. There's a good chance the love will last a lifetime. If you set up an unhealthy relationship, then there can be problems because the relationship in and of itself can stifle the love that you're experiencing. And I believe that's what happens when you have a divorce. People become attracted. They may experience a form of love with each other. Then the relationship they set up is not viable. And as a consequence, the love is strangled or diminished, and finally destroyed. So my thing is trying to understand interpersonal relationships. I'm a clinical psychologist and an interpersonal psychoanalyst. I'm with NYU postdocs here in New York City. My emphasis is how interpersonal relationships are a source of difficulty for people and also a source of healing. So I'm very interested in what happens between people and how to harness those positives to help people understand. The other thing that's important to know about me is that I'm big into what's called unconscious learning. I think a lot of learning takes place, especially in the family of origin, that is unconscious. What that means is that you're not aware of what you're learning. You don't even know you're learning it. The family of origin is an incredibly powerful, it's not the only one, but it's an incredibly powerful classroom. And we're vulnerable, we're impressionable, we're observing, we can learn by relationship, we can learn by observing, sometimes by instruction. But the essence of what I'm saying is that it's unconscious. And because it's unconscious, if you learn something unhealthy early in life, especially relationship learning, 
chances are you're going to repeat it again and again in your lifetime. The good news is you can become aware of what you've learned. And once that consciousness takes hold, then we can move toward, and this is what I talk about in the book, towards unlearning process. And that's the beautiful thing about human beings. It is our greatest resource. We are learners right from the beginning of life, hopefully till the end of life. Some people hang on to what they've learned, unfortunately, when it's unhealthy. That's a problem. Some resistance and defensiveness goes on. But these are all issues to deal with. The good news is I've witnessed a lot of people, to get to your question, a lot of people in my office who've repeated, replicated unhealthy relationship experiences over and over again. And my understanding of what that was about over the course of time that I've researched love relationship is that some unconscious learning took place and it was basically shaping the type of experiences people would find and have in their love life. And again, if it was healthy, beautiful, not a problem. Right. If it's unhealthy, then chances are you're going to do the same thing over and over again. And I'll tell you, I have met numerous people. I'll give you an example. Person comes into my office, about 50 years old. She's having relationship problems. We do a little history. I find out she grew up in a home with an alcoholic, violent father who physically abused mom while she and her siblings watched. So, okay, I get the details. Then we move to what's happening in your love life presently. And she tells me that she married and divorced two alcoholic, violent men. And the guy she's with now is verbally abusive. So I ask a simple question, and this is an educated, intelligent person. I say, do you think there's a relationship between where you grew up and what's happening in your adult love life? And she looked at me like, what? And I'll never forget that look. And it really stayed with me. And I use it as a resource because that look identifies the unconscious nature of this learning. That she learned that that was the blueprint. That was the template mm -hmm. to understand what kind of love relationship to form when you fall in love. It triggered. It was automatic. And it destroyed her love life to the age of 50. And our work was to make all of that conscious and to make sure she understood what she witnessed in childhood became the foundation of what she created in her adult love life. So what I'm hearing is kind of the first step in unlearning it is to become aware of it. Absolutely. It seems so clear to us as you tell me that story that she should see where this came from, but it wasn't clear to her. No, not at all. And that's the unconscious learning involves learning without awareness of what you're learning or that you're even learning. The other reason why I got into this research was a more personal one. My love life between the age of 17 and 35 was what I call in the book, the disappointing love life. And disappointing love lives have certain things that identify it as a disappointing love life. One thing is repetition. Things tend to happen over and over again. In our conversation, it would be mistakes, mistakes that are formed in terms of a love relationship. If you've learned something unhealthy, like all men abandon because my father abandoned me when I was a child. So without awareness, I go looking for an unavailable man and I find them one after the other. It's so crazy that we would look for that when it's not really what we think we want. Absolutely. And I, I've discovered that the behavior, and we'll talk a little bit about that, because what I did is I went into the meat and potatoes of what the learning consists of, because my job is to take it apart. My job is mm -hmm. to disrupt it, challenge it, to break it up, 
to help people become aware, and this is stage two of what they've learned so that they can begin the unlearning process. And the unlearning process begins when people challenge what they've learned, when they say, no, this is unhealthy. And it's a wonderful thing about human beings, and I'm skipping ahead to the unlearning method right now, stage two, is that we have the wonderful ability to challenge things we've learned, challenge habits, challenge things we're used to, challenge things where, here's a nice little mixed word, familiar. The root of familiar is family. Familiar, what we're familiar with, tends to replicate because that kind of learning happens early in life. The people that are teaching us are major characters, mom, dad, uncle, Jim, Aunt Mary, whatever, brother, sister, neighbors. These are all part of the extended family, in my view. They're teachers of relationships. So it's important to realize that we possess the capacity to confront what we've learned. And that confrontation with consciousness now sets up a process of disruption. We're starting to stop it from being automatic. We're starting to say, no, no, this is not going to dominate my love life. And in that period, for example, in the work that I do, it's almost like a self-study. You're making the love life an area that people can work on. And oftentimes people don't imagine that. We work on everything else. Right. We work on our financial life. We work on our legal lives, on our medical lives. And the love life, ah, I don't need to work on my love life. I know how to be in love. Wait a minute. Do you know how to set up the kind of love relationship you need that will preserve, protect, and grow the love? So that's the second stage. Getting back to the statement, I answer your question about another reason why I got into this is that between the ages of 17 and 35, my love life was disappointing, multiple disappointments. In an analysis here in New York with an analyst who understood a little bit about love, he pointed out that I was using my mother's template to define the eligible woman. My mother was a first-generation immigrant from Europe. She was dependent, she was controlling, and she was self-centered. And that self-centeredness came because there was a lot of things that were unhappy inside of her. And I was the son that got to learn a lot about that, you know. She claims that it had something to do with helping me become who I am today. So when the analyst pointed out, I realized he was accurate, but it was a very befuddling. I wasn't sure. What am I going to do about this? And I took a break from meeting. Women became these alien creatures that I didn't understand. I didn't have any sisters. It was interesting, you know, half awareness. I'm more aware of it now, but at that time, I sought out female friends. Mm -hmm. I had a best female friend for about five years. We paled around, and it was like an internship, female psychology. And what I had to do in that process, as I understand it now, is to define eligible women as independent, not controlling, and intimate as opposed to self-centered. Right. And when the person that I became friends with was such a person, we weren't romantic. There was no sexual activity between us. But we were good friends, and it was funny. After that relationship cooled, we parted. My wife showed up, Victoria. Really? She's an independent, controlling, intimate person. We got married. I've been married for 28 years. Congratulations. I'm at 31. Ah, (laughs) Congratulations to you. (laughs) But I think I like what you're saying, and I think that people moving on from a divorce need to make sure that they do this work. 
Well, they don't end up in the same position. And even right. as you're talking, I'm thinking about people who are thinking about getting married. You know, it's hard to get divorced. I mean, marriage is a big deal. It's a legal contract and you need to do it with the right person. So I feel like your book is going to help young people. It's going to help people who have gone through a divorce. I love hearing about learning from relationships from our family because I haven't thought through the relationship that my parents had that I watched, you know, that uncles and aunts and grandparents had. And I think as you're talking, I can see a connection between who I married. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That process of replication that I mentioned, that oftentimes is physical. I put together a PowerPoint presentation because I've been experimenting with different ways to get the message out. And so I tried to pick slides that were, you know, have an impact. And I found this slide where two people, man and a woman, who married someone who looks like the opposite sex parent. You know, I love that slide because it points out that replication isn't just emotional. Replication can occur physical. You know, if you're familiar with a mother who has blonde hair and you pick a woman with blonde hair, that means something. You might not make a big deal out of it, but something's at work in your mind. That's interesting that you're saying that because people have said that my husband and I resemble each other. Interesting. And then this is interesting too. My brother's wife, they've been married longer than we have, looks like my husband. There's a prototype. There's a physiognomy. There's a physical feature pattern alive yeah. in these relationships, right? But the wonderful thing about it is it's unconscious. Look, we can't make everything conscious. I don't know if we even want to. Maybe what we want to do is make sure that when something's unhealthy, we make that conscious. Because when you make something conscious for someone, you empower them. They're empowered to yes. do something with that. Stage three, if I could go to stage one, establish consciousness, as you point out. Yep. Step two is to challenge what we've learned. Step three is a correction by choosing the opposite. I chose the opposite of dependence. My mother never left home. Her parents lived upstairs in the house we owned all her life. The opposite of control is freedom, being in a relationship where you don't control your partner. The opposite of self-centered is intimate, mutual, where you have an exchange with someone. It's not focused on just one mm -hmm. person. So the opposite is very powerful in this. And I think the opposite once you're aware that you've identified what the unhealthy relationship experiences were that taught you what was unhealthy, it's made conscious, you're starting to oppose it. In other words, you're interrupting it, you're disrupting it. The final stage is to realize the opposite is a healing experience. So if I have someone in my office that's at stage three, I encourage them to identify the unhealthy pattern shows up early when they start dating, for example. Mm -hmm. Say after a divorce, someone start, takes a little break, starts dating. Okay, now I want you to bring your consciousness with you when you go on a date. Be able to label who the person is that you're talking to. Are they the opposite of what you were taught? For example, are you sitting with someone who is independent versus dependent, who is able to have a commitment instead of abandoning or neglectful? who is accepting instead of rejecting. 
In my book, I listed 10 unhealthy relationship experiences that I found over the years show up in people's love lives over and over again. So getting a sense of what the opposites are allows you to steer your love life in a new and healing direction. And that's really where a person gets control over their love life. It becomes something that you can manage to a certain extent. Well, and I have to believe that that can be really uncomfortable. What do you mean by that? Doing the opposite of... Uh Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar. (laughs) Doesn't that sound uncomfortable? Oh, yes, absolutely. The unfamiliar is always uncomfortable. I'll throw another word out, anxiety producing. I'll give you an example. I work with a woman who was abandoned by a parent early in life, and she found unavailable men over the course of her life. She's a little older now, and we were talking about finding an available man. And she was talking with me about it somewhat intellectually, you know, and I said, how do you feel about what we're talking about? And she said, it scares the crap out of me. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, the unfamiliar, not knowing. I had no experience with availability. It wasn't something that was modeled in my family. My father was out of the house a lot. He had other partners. My mother was tolerating it. And she said, I'm going to have to learn how to tolerate this as best I can. And that, in a sense, becomes the practice. Right. It's not something you do once and it's over. You know, this correction I'm talking about is a devotion. You're going to practice it. Look at the motivator. If I can correct my love relationship history, if I can move from disappointing love relationships to ones that are satisfying, healthy, and enduring, I mean, how motivating is that? Very motivating. And I think that, you know, it's something that I always tell people, you do have to do the work. Absolutely. And it is. It is work. Because you're going against basic unconscious learning. You're going against familiarity. You're going against something that's been practiced in some instances. Sometimes people have multiple disappointments once they start looking into their love life and notice it. Oh boy, look at that. I'm picking the same kind of man over and over again. I'm picking the same kind of woman over and over again. It ends in the same kind of way. I'm doing the same thing over and over again that I shouldn't be doing. Right. Um, I took this idea of unhealthy relationship experiences that get replicated, and I brought it to the level of how do people recreate these experiences? To understand the disappointing love life, you start with repetition. You want to look for a pattern. Mm -hmm. You want to see. That's the first step. That's what aids consciousness. You're going to take a look at something and you're going to say, wow, this is happening over and over again. And it's amazing what people can see once they look at their love life. Put it on a workbench. Take a look at it for a minute. Back away from just repeating things over and over again and take a look at what's happening. And then replication. Being able to say, okay, what's happening is not just repetition. I'm replicating something I experienced. I was exposed to. I was shown earlier in life. So that adds a little more, you know, uh, flesh and bone to the situation because you're seeing the replication. Now let's talk about recreation. Recreation is a wonderful idea that puts the onus on the individual where it belongs. If you're going to make changes in your love life, you have to accept the fact that you're creating the very love life that's disappointing. 
And some right. people put up a bit of a resistance to that. Wait a minute. I'm not, my partner's recreated. My husband's responsible. My wife's responsible. No, you're the person that creates your own love life experience. And that's where the change takes place. I call it changing the psychological love life. In my research, you don't change your love life out here between you and other people. You change it in here, in your mind. What you're bringing into your love life. When you change that, permanent changes, permanent changes show up in a person's life. Who knows, right? So what I did with the recreation, and let's put the little RE in front of creation because it's recreation because it's unconscious, just like repetition and replication. It means something's happening over and over again, and you're not necessarily aware of what it is. So we can recreate without being aware of what we're recreating. Woo, that's a scary little concept because I could say to that person, your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to these earlier experiences you've had in life that are replicating, repeating, and recreating in your love life. So let's put the responsibility into the hands of the individual so we can empower them to make the changes. So recreation, how is it done? And this is what I found. Beliefs, behavior, and feelings. Three basic aspects of experience. Okay. If I grow up in a home where there's abuse, deep down inside, and I have found this in too many people over the years, I believe that love relations, they're abusive. I learned it early in life, and I'm convinced on some deep, unaware level that they always end up the same way abusive because that's the fundamental experience i had in my life right so that belief is a problem second behavior i go looking for abusive people i let them find me i find them or they find me or both because i learned that's what eligibility consists of and it's familiar it's familiar whether it's physical abuse emotional abuse Verbal abuse, financial abuse, Uh sexual abuse, all the different kinds of abuses. And by the way, if you grew up with physical abuse and you're recreating verbal abuse, still abuse. Right. They hang around together, all those abuses. Financial abuse is using somebody's money when you don't have to. So the behavior, unconscious behavior is, I find this type of individual. I remember working with a person. She had a great sense of humor. This was a while ago. She had been married and dating alcoholic men because she grew up in an environment where a lot of males were alcoholic in her family. And I said to her in a lighter moment, I said, because she was single and dating now. And I said to her, if I had a party with 50 eligible men, not a drop of alcohol, one of them was an alcoholic, would you be talking to him by the end of the night? She started laughing. She said, I'd find them somewhere around the I know them. <laughs> I said, oh my God, wait a minute. We got to do something about that. You know, right. she had like some kind of, you know, some kind of radar for the, <laughs> uh, for the alcoholic man and not a drop of alcohol. It wasn't like he was downing martinis or something, you know? So it was really a funny moment, which had a lot of meaning, you know? Right. And so the third thing is feeling. And familiarity is a powerful word that I kind of add to feelings. Feelings come with these unhealthy relationship experiences we've had. For example, 
if you've been abandoned early in life, the feeling is lost. Mm-hmm. Your love life's going to have a lot of loss. If you've been abused, if you witnessed abuse when you were young, your love life is going to have a lot of fear because you're going to find abusive people or recreate fear in others by being abusive yourself. If control, there was a lot of control early in life, you know, a lot of possessiveness and control, you're going to be recreating this trapped feeling of no freedom in your love relationship. So there's a feeling that goes with these beliefs and behaviors. And the three of those areas are important to understand what is being recreated. So when you get into the detail of helping people stop recreating and create something healthy, create without the RE, create Mm -hmm. something healthy, you're taking apart those beliefs. You're challenging those behaviors. Um, You're pointing out how these familiar experiences are giving you a sign that recreation is still active. So people become very good at understanding consciously how they might recreate something they don't want that's unhealthy. And boy, oh boy, that wisdom, that knowledge empowers a person to begin choosing the opposite, pushing their love life in a new direction. Oftentimes, I find that people take a little time after a divorce to do that. Well, you know, Tom, as you're talking, so this is interesting. I decided to get a hard copy of your book. I started read a little bit of it because I want my husband to read it too. And I feel like this can even help you in your marriage if okay. you become aware okay. and you can create something together as long uh-huh. as you're both willing. Beautiful. To That's right. I have a friend who edited the book and he pointed out and he said, you know, this book's for divorced, separated, widowed, never married people. I said, no, no, no. It's for couples as well. I remember us having a little debate about that. If you understand your psychological love life and you understand your husband's Mm -hmm. psychological love life and he understands his psychological love life and your psychological love life, that wisdom, that knowledge is very powerful. And if you have the ingredient you just pointed out, working together, a motivation to mm-hmm. work on your love life as a married person, boy, that's powerful stuff. You can help each other. Oh, excuse me, John, I think you're replicating A, B, C, D. And, you know, I have to tell you, Victoria, who happens to be a mental health professional, she and I are in a group practice. That'll make it worse. Oh, I don't <laughs> She's an analyst as I am. She's done things at the beginning of our marriage in particular, like, Tom, I think your mother's in the room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Or I say the same to her. Like, try to point out that this person who's closest to you can see how you've had a lapse in consciousness yep. and how these old patterns come back in. And they're never useful. They're always hard. No, we do the same thing. I mean, I can see his mama. <laughs> it's not sure what his behavior or what yeah. he expects of you, right? Yes. <laughs> so interesting. So Dr. Thomas Jordan, I can't believe this time is getting away from me today. Oh, okay. So fun chatting with you. And I'm going to report back on how this goes with my husband when we work together. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's just been such a blessing to have you here. just wanted to pop in here quick before the saddle up segment and this whole thing winds down 
and I want to tell you about my Parenting Plan online course. It is for you if you are terrified that divorce is going to ruin your children. I'm here to assure you that you can co-parent really well together. And I have an online course that is going to walk you through a parenting plan. You will have a piece of your divorce done. If you want to work with a mediator, you can bring the paperwork in and that portion is complete. It's easy, affordable, quick, and effective. And it will be part of your divorce paperwork if you'd like it to, or you can just use it to co-parent well with another parent. It goes over all the things that you may not be thinking of when you're in the midst of an emotional time like divorce. So please go to lisakoski.com, check on my online courses, and sign up for the Parenting Plan course now because when parents work together, they can mitigate the damages caused by divorce to their children. And as you know, when I start to wrap up my podcast, I always ask my guests to talk about a tidbit, a little piece of advice, something for our saddle up segment that's something that people can do right now to have a better life or a better relationship. Yeah. I'm going to put together a couple of things that we touched on that I think is very important. And that is the idea that you can work on your love life. And it's something that should be worked on. And that phrase, work on your love life, I think it has a certain intensity to it because it invites people to look inside, to treat your love life as something that can change, can be worked on, can be improved. And I would recommend the first step is always to look at your love life and see if there's repetition occurring. That's Mm -hmm. the first step. If you can identify repetition, you're on your way because that's going to create a curiosity as to what this repetition is all about. Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Am I repeating something that is destructive, interfering with my love life? And if a person starts with that, I find that it encourages and motivates a person to really take seriously, let's look at my love life, especially if they undergo a divorce. I would recommend this to your divorced clients and people that watch your podcast is that a divorce is hurtful, sometimes ugly, sometimes uh, painful, always painful perhaps. But the time between divorce and your next relationship is a very important period. It is the time if you can just accept the understanding that you can work on your love life in that period, that individual period of time, that single time, looking inside that improves the chances Mm -hmm. of doing much better the next time around, whenever next time around comes. I love that advice. And now I know that I can find your book on Amazon. Yes. How can Uh, people, and we'll have that in the show notes, how can people get a hold of you, get in touch with you? Yes. I have a website called lovelifelearningcenter.com. And there's a lot of stuff up there. I have information about the book there. My wife and I offer love life consultations by phone for people that are interested in going through the steps that I talked about and need a little support, a little bit of clarification, guidance perhaps to get through it. Talk a little bit about the presentation I'll be doing virtually this winter. I'm going to do a lot of Zoom presentations. So if people have a group they'd like me to talk to, I'm very interested in doing. So there's a lot of stuff. Plus there's 
300 plus articles on that blog because I wanted it to be an online library where people would get some real clinically accurate, you know, real information about love life issues and, and, and suggestions about what to do. So it's been up since 2012. Some of the podcasts, some of the posts that I get commentary on, it just blow me away. It's powerful stuff and I read everything. Oh, that's wonderful. So listeners, if you are looking for how to have a better relationship in the future, find Dr. Thomas Jordan at lovelifelearningcenter.com. Uh-huh. Dr. Thomas Jordan, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I appreciate getting to know you. And this is going to help my marriage. So thank oh, you for that as well. Thank you, Lisa, for inviting me. I had a great time. Thank you. Wonderful. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Before I go, I just want to let you know some exciting news. In addition to my online parenting plan course, I now have the Minnesota Divorce Paperwork course. This course is going to hold your hand through the mediation process and the Minnesota Divorce Paperwork. It's easy, effective, comprehensive. You will have what you need to file for divorce with this course. Check it out at lisakoski.com. Thank you for listening to the Doing Divorce Different podcast. Connect with us at lisakoski.com and sign up for our newsletter.